0: Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artisan food makers, farmers, authors, and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious.
1: A very good Sunday to you, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. If you're hungry for beautiful food, remarkable wines, and juicy conversation, well, then you won't want to miss this show. Every Sunday, I'm heating up your radio with grand guests and gastronomic pleasures. And today is no different. I plan to fill your plate with Winter and holiday inspiration. This is cooking and entertaining from a chef's point of view. And I want you to cook confidently this Thanksgiving. So stay tuned all throughout the hour. I'm sharing holiday advice and recipe ideas, tips, tricks, and more. And I'm always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com. You can also find my daily dish on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. And you'll find podcasts of this show that you might have missed on iTunes, FeedBurner, and Blueberry under Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. So the big feast is just four days away, right? I know, Thanksgiving came quick. And if you're still planning your menu, well, then I have recipes for turkey a multitude of ways, to savory sides, to delectable desserts, all posted once again at chefjamie.com. But by now, you have hopefully ordered your fresh turkey, or maybe you bought a frozen bird and you're thawing it in the fridge. Today is the day to start setting the table, planning platters for serving. By the way, I lay mine out I put post-its on each to plan in advance what serving pieces I'll be using. It's a really great trick. And then hopefully if you're cooking for a crowd, you've already shopped or you're shopping today for the dry goods. That will make the week so much easier. Of course, you can always reach out with your last minute cooking questions. You can reach me via email at jamie at chefjamie.com. And the questions have already begun pouring in. So I thought I'd kick off today's show by sharing the queries of food lovers across the country in the hope that it solves a dilemma or two or brings you insight and a more delicious meal. I sort of consider this like culinary paying it forward. So here goes. This past week, Mike from Boston wrote me and he asked for my gravy, how do I keep it free from lumps? Well, Mike, it's a very good question. Um, I will say that the best tip I can share is one that was shared a couple weeks back from the test kitchen director of Savoir Magazine. Uh, Stacy had some really great ideas, one of which prompted or jolted my memory back to my culinary school days when we learned to make a beurre manier. And it's a fancy term, which by the way, makes for very wonderful dinner party conversation. It is actually translated from French. It means Needed butter, like you would need dough. And instead of making gravy with, let's say, plain flour, or even having to make a roux, the best way to make a lump-free last-minute gravy is to mix equal parts of all-purpose flour and room-temperature unsalted butter into a paste. Now, the flour and butter together can sit like in a ramekin on the counter from early morning all the way up until you pull the turkey out of the oven. And what you'll do is you'll remove the turkey from the roasting pan. You'll skim any fat off of those delicious juices. And you add a teaspoon at a time of the beurre to the boiling juices to which you've add, added uh, chicken broth or stock until you reach the desired thickness of gravy. You should have no lumps when you use this beautiful French technique and you get wonderful flavor to the gravy because there's really no uh, flour flavor at all. So I hope that beurre manier comes in handy for everyone listening and that your gravy is great. I also got a question from a baker of late She asked, can I make my pie dough ahead of time? Oh, yes, you can. I actually hope that you've already made it. But if you haven't yet, take today or tomorrow night as we come into the big Thanksgiving week to make your pie dough in advance. I use a food processor pie dough recipe that I love, comes together quickly, super simple. And what I recommend that you do is not only make the pie dough, but roll the dough flat into a round disc fit to your pie dish so that you can save even more time because you'll freeze the pie dough in the pan, directly in the pan. You want to make sure that your pans are freezer safe, of course. And the beauty of this is that you can actually safely store pie dough up to a month in advance in the freezer. So this is a real time saver all throughout the holiday season, especially as, um, you know, the other holidays that require pie. Doesn't every holiday require pie come into play? What I recommend you do is you defrost the pie dough in the pie pan overnight in the refrigerator the day before you're ready to use it. And by the way, if you have too much on your plate, there is nothing wrong with purchasing prepared pie dough and using this same trick. There are so many options on the market today and there is no shame in store-bought to homemade. Uh, Okay, let's see. Moving on. Susan from California wants to know, is a potato ricer essential and do you make your mashed potatoes with it, Chef Jamie? Oh, yes, I do. A potato ricer is that handheld hinged tool that presses the potato through little perforations. It looks like a giant garlic press, really. It's a classic tool, one that has withstood the test of time. So if you have your grandmother's potato ricer, hold to it. Those are the best kind. When the cooked potatoes pass through the perforations, you get this really Creamy, soft texture. It's different than mashing a potato any other way. And when you rice the potatoes, as it's called, um, I like to add, remember, warm dairy. I combine my butter and my milk and cream together. I've infused herbs into that dairy mixture, and I always add warm dairy to the riced potatoes. You never want to add cold dairy. It will change the texture of the mashed potatoes themselves. But I will say there is something beautiful about a potato ricer. So if you have one, use it. And if you're looking to invest in a new culinary gadget, well, then that's the one just in time for Thanksgiving. Edie in Arizona wrote to me as well to ask, what is the best thermometer to use to test when my turkey is done? Edie, I use an instant read thermometer. You can can buy a professional quality one in most stores today. It has the most accurate temperature. But allow me to remind you that when you test for doneness, you insert the thermometer into the turkey thigh, not touching the bone because it will skew the temperature. And the turkey is done when the dark meat reads 180 degrees on your trusty instant read thermometer. The dark meat, once again, reads 180 degrees Fahrenheit. You always want to let your turkey rest for at least 15 minutes, and I prefer 30, tented with aluminum foil to seal in all those juices before you go to carve the bird. And then don't forget, when you're grocery shopping this week, When you bring your turkey to the table, there's something beautiful about fresh garnish. So buy a couple extra oranges or an extra bunch of rosemary or maybe some kumquats or a pomegranate that you've quartered so that you can add those brilliant colors of the fruit and the herbs around the turkey. It will be absolutely gorgeous. It doesn't have to be elaborate at all. Like some chopped chives on top of the mashed potatoes, add a little color and interest or some freshly chopped parsley to your glazed carrots. Keep it simple. Have some fun finishing off the dishes. And I know that your feast is going to be fabulous. So now you should have the ultimate meal planned, prepped, and perfect, right? But once again, if you need last-minute advice, then please email me, jamie at chefjamie.com. And in food news this week, oh, you are so going to want this. I want one. It's called the Chip Smart Cookie Oven, and it is merging the time-tested joy of cookie baking with the more recent joy of a mobile app. They're actually raising funds on Kickstarter now, and I heard about it this past week. The Chip Smart cookie oven sits countertop or tabletop, but you can control everything via your phone. You drop the cookie dough into the machine, um, the cookies will bake right then. It only takes about 10 minutes, but maybe you want those cookies to start baking while you're out. Or, uh, let's say when you sit down to dinner with friends or party guests, well, you just say so via the app, you have a four hour window after you add the dough and the cookies will be waiting for you. You don't have to set a temperature. The oven knows how to bake different kinds of cookies and it will notify you by phone when they're done. But let's say you're not ready to get up from the table. Well, in that case, the oven will automatically keep the cookies warm for up to two hours. I think that is too cool. The chip smart cookie oven is supposed to release this time next year. And that is news you can use, right? (laughs) And don't touch your dial because when we come back, we are dishing on stuffings and sides for the big feast. And chefs Rich Landau and Kate Jacoby, much loved across the country, are waxing poetic on vegetarian cuisine. Stay tuned. There's more fabulous food in your radio. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen, and I'll be right back. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen, in your radio, here to spice up your life. Just four days away from the big Thanksgiving feast. And for so many of us, it wouldn't be the same without mashed potatoes and cornbread stuffing and really good cranberry sauce, right? Well, this season, tradition seems to be trumping trendy. And so by popular demand... Stacey Adamondo is back and in your radio. You heard her here last Sunday waxing poetic on how to perfect your turkey. She is, of course, the test kitchen director for Savor Magazine, the publication with which I love, full of glorious stories about the wonderful world of food. And she's back to dish and complete your Thanksgiving menu with side dishes galore. And I'm so glad to have you. Hi again, Stacey. Hi,
2: thank you. It's (laughs) good to be back.
1: Okay, so another week down, uh, four days to go. Oh boy, we're getting close. We're getting close. At this point, your turkey should be thawing if you bought a frozen bird in the fridge and say by Tuesday, we should be implementing the dry brine that you shared.
2: Yeah. I like to get at least a full day head start on the dry brine and even better if you can get it two days to ensure a really crispy, dark, wonderful caramelized skin.
1: Yes. As we talked about the best part Um, and dry brine recipes and lots of ethnic influence to elevate your menu. I know at savor.com. Oh yes. Oh yes. Uh, Let's talk stuffing for a second. Uh, I believe that traditional stuffing, more specifically of the cornbread variety, is making a comeback.
2: Uh, This is why I love you, Jamie. (laughs) You're a girl after my own heart. Yes, we're on the
1: same page. We are so on the
2: same page. The same menu page. Yes. Um, I could not agree more, and I think what's so crazy to me is that every single year, Everybody I know is looking for a classic stuffing recipe and somehow we can never find the thing that we're looking for. Um, You know, I think to me more important than finding the right recipe is just learning one time how to make it work and then riffing off that every single year. Hmm. Um, Stuffing is one of the easiest things to improvise. It's kind of like people get very nervous about improvising off recipes, especially around Thanksgiving where all the pressure is on you that... Your family's coming over and your guests are coming over and everybody's going to be, you know, judging or critiquing or you want it to be perfect. But this actually is the time to swap out something to surprise everybody from last year. It doesn't have to be exactly the same. But it can be close enough that, you know, you're not compromising that those classic flavors that people love.
1: So with that said, you're going back to the basics, too. I'm doing cornbread yeah. stuffing and I'm doing very... I'm making very basic cornbread stuffing. I don't think there's anything wrong with dried cranberries and pecans and all that good stuff. But I was really thinking of going, uh, you know, caramelized, slow cooked, sauteed onions, Mm -hmm. very simply, uh, celery spices, uh, good toasted cornbread because I think the bread has to have a toast on it. I think oh, yeah. it, it has to have a crunch before you uh, before you wet it, totally and then agree. just a a good crusty top. So baked completely open. And really, back to the basic cornbread stuffing.
2: So I love everything you just said, and I love your definition of classic that it includes crispy on the top couple little like bits of sweetness in there like mm. I love to incorporate sweetness in some way I've been playing around stuffing recipes and this year I'm doing sliced fennel like like cooked caramelized fennel as my little sweet you know morsel in there beautiful but also you mentioned the the dried cranberries and I mean at the same um, along the same lines you can use anything pomegranate seeds I do a little bit of like finely chopped apple sometimes um I love the idea of, like, different dried fruits, like dried cherries I've used. Um, I've put, you know, dried currants. You can use white raisins. Like, there's so much stuff. If you just kind of, like, walk through that dried section of the grocery store, the bulk section even, just start, like, shoveling pretty tasty things into your cart, I yes. honestly feel like you can use your, your stuffing as a canvas for that.
1: I agree with you, but not overwhelmed. Pick a couple. Yeah. Pick, pick one, one or two. item to math with. Yes.
2: Um, this year, my, so, so I'm, I'm going to use my fennel as my sweetener. I'm doing straight up, you know, celery, onions, like you said, and bread. But this year I, and this recipe is up on sever.com. Um, I'm doing lard bread as my bread of choice.
3: So if you're not familiar yes. with lard
2: bread, if you are familiar with lard bread, you're, like, in love right now right. and really <laughs> excited. And if you're not familiar with it, it's an Italian specialty. So you can get it at Italian bakeries, but it literally has the lard, the rendered lard of pork. You know, usually it's, like, prosciutto, um, some kind of roasted or, or cured pork, like soppressata something like that but it's got the rendered lard actually like folded into the dough and then a little bit like little chopped morsels of Hmm. cured pork
1: yes it's like charcuterie met your loaf of bread (laughs) exactly it really is so you
2: don't have to change you can use this in a classic like let's say you found a sourdough stuffing recipe swap in the lard bread and don't change a thing and so honestly, smart, Stacey. your mind will be blown. Yes, yes this, this so recipe smart. is up on our site. And I honestly got a lot of high fives in the
1: office that day. Oh, I love it. Okay, I'm high fiving you over the, over the radio waves. <laughs> That's right. Uh, okay, so our stuffing's made, literally. Um, and then, of course, the, the turkey is the star of the show. But you need something to hold hands with the gravy, and that, for me, are over-the-top, uber-indulgent mashed potatoes. Because if there were ever a time to eat to your heart's content, Thursday oh, yeah. Thursday is it.
2: And no looking back. And then, no. of course, Friday is it, too, because you better make enough for leftovers <laughs> or right. people are not going to be happy. That's right. So
1: are you uh, of the Julia Child garlic mashed potato mindset, which, mind you, Wolfgang Puck... Uh, I think very much adopted because my first restaurant experience was working in an open kitchen at one of uh, Wolfgang's restaurants called Eureka. I was 16 oh. years old, and I will never forget being taught how to make proper Wolfgang Puck mashed potatoes. Mm. And they are very much along, line, along the lines of the Julia Child recipe featured on com.
2: Yes, anything Julia Child makes is pretty much A, a crowd-pleaser, and B, definitely okay in my book. Yes, Um,
1: I guarantee. Her
2: her mashed potatoes, okay, so she does the whole creamy mash thing, um, the crowd-pleasing, you know, enough. there's enough, like, cream and and salt and, you know, all the classic stuff going on in there. But she also turns it up a notch with garlic, Mm -hmm. um, which I just love this because she, you know, you basically, the technique is you kind of, cook the garlic until it's soft so that it gets sweet and it kind of takes out that spicy garlic flavor and then you make instead of just you know cream or just butter or both she actually makes a bechamel sauce which is insane and over the top but like again in the best of ways and this is the day that you want to do it yes so that gets folded into the mashed potatoes as well and then you know top with a little parsley and black pepper and like are you kidding me totally knocks it out of the park
1: right as i like to say doesn't suck well i wish you a wonderful thanksgiving i'm very grateful for your inspiration for your insight for your passion for joining us two sundays in a row to make sure that great cooks across this country are armed with the best recipes and advice and inspiration to make thanksgiving delicious so thank you thank you
2: Thank you. I'm so happy to help.
1: And before the end of the year, come back, please, because we could dish on Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, and more. A lot, yes. I, w- I would love it. Stacy Adamondo is the Test Kitchen Director for Savour Magazine. The wide and wonderful world of recipes, cooking, wine, and culinary arts found in, of course, their monthly and bi-monthly issues, October, November, on newsstands now. Recipes aforementioned at com. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen and we'll be right back. is life, create and savor yours. Welcome back Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Chefs Rich Landau and Kate Jacoby are darlings of the vegan food movement. They bring bold flavors to the very devoted clientele of their acclaimed Philadelphia restaurants, Veg and V Street. And they're sharing their secrets in a new cookbook release of cutting-edge vegetable recipes inspired by the great ethnic and street foods of the world. Rich and Kate offer creative vegan riffs, drawing from culinary traditions in Asia and the Middle East, South America, and beyond, and they're all featured in this delectable new cookbook. I cannot wait to cook from V Street, and I am delighted that they have both stopped by to share their innovative approach to vegetarian cuisine, and we welcome you. Hi, Kate. Hi, Rich. Hi. Thanks so much for having us. Of course. Hey, it's good to be here. Well, it's very nice to have you, and I'm very grateful you're gracing this show. You have both been making great strides in the vegetarian-vegan world for many years, there's no doubt. Um, Rich, we know that you were at the forefront in vegetarian dining when you opened the first restaurant in 1994. Uh, we know that you served the first ever vegan dinner at the James Beard House. Uh, you were a finalist for Best Chef Mid-Atlantic. And then congrats to you, Kate. I know that you were listed for James Beard Awards for Best Pastry Chef last year. It, it, yes. Is it something extraordinary uh, to you that the the movement, this vegetarian world, has elevated since your humble beginnings?
0: Yeah, I think it's shocking almost. You know, hmm. you know Kate and I are always looking ahead. You know, where can we go? What, what's next to do? Um, you know, what's the next big thing, and what can we accomplish? But when you kind of turn around and see the footprints behind you, it's amazing to see how far this all has come. You know, back in 1994... You, you know, you never used the word uh, you know vegetarian on your menu. It was embarrassing. People made fun of you. Hmm. You know, they, there's these preconceived notions that you were basically basically just a bunch of um, stone hippies or Woodstock you know, <laughs> veterans you know, sing, yeah. singing Kumbaya in your little cafe. So you know, you wanted to get away from that word, and the word vegan was unheard of back then. You know, and then all of a sudden, you know, things start to you know come around, and you know you have some celebrities adopting the diet. And now it's pretty cool to be vegan. Um, you know, it's it's almost becoming a household word. Mm. And uh, you know, as as much as we knew in our hearts, you know that we this was where it was going, and this was our Sunday, It's pretty cool to actually be here in the moment too. It's kind of a kind of a pinch me moment.
1: I I would think so. And I know we've talked briefly before. I, I am far from a vegetarian, uh, but I have to tell you, I love how I feel when I cook. Vegetable based. I love meatless Mondays. I love that I can pull off vegetarian chili. And my husband thinks it is so delectable and never asks ground beef or ground turkey. I mean, I I really do love the philosophy that we can elevate and that it's a testament to the food world itself that we've made great strides. By definition, Rich or Kate, the difference between a vegetarian and a vegan in my experience, has sort of grown as far as there's a a bigger space between. Yeah,
3: I've been hearing the term flexitarian thrown out there for a couple years now. And um, one thing that, you know, in looking back for such a long time we've been doing this, we've really seen this uh, evolve over time. And I would say that, you know, 10 years ago, people really expected you to identify very strictly with one thing, And in more recent years, I feel, you know, that the people leading this movement, whether it's in restaurants or or in other um, aspects, they're just more inclusive. And, you know, your example is great, like Meatless Monday. um, It used to be as if, you know, that wasn't good enough or that's just diluting the the movement. But I think people have sort of encouraged people to kind of lean vegan or lean vegetarian so that no one's going to make you have an ID card or pass a test, but... (laughs) Um, you know, from time to time, people can sort of embrace that style of eating. And what you were saying, too, it rings true. I think it's not just a trend. Um, Whether you commit to being perfect vegan for the rest of your life or you just start to incorporate that into your cooking style, um, I think that you end up feeling really good. You know, um, one of the things I marvel at is just doing the dishes. When you don't have any animal products and you're not cooking with butter or cheese or anything, like, it's actually surprising that, uh, the dishes are a lot cleaner.
1: <laughs> I, I could imagine. What makes you strictly vegan?
0: Well, that's no animal products whatsoever. So does uh, that include honey? All, all dairy, all butter, eggs. So vegans you know, basically don't eat anything that has anything to do with an animal, whereas a vegetarian diet, you know, which was a little bit more popular in the 60s and 70s, you know, you could, you would eat eggs, you would eat dairy because you're not, you know, you're not killing the animal, but you're using a product from it where the animal, you know, isn't, you know, doesn't die. Um, You know, and I was a happy vegetarian for years and years. Um, Unfortunately, I I grew to realize it was not a very healthy diet Um, and done wrong. It could be one of the worst, worst diets on the planet because you have this excuse to eat all this cholesterol, all these, all these eggs and all this cheese. So here I am eating, you know, eggplant parmesan sandwiches and you know eggs and you know Mm. cheese hoagies all the time and you know i was like the you know i was like gaining weight while while i was doing it and i wasn't feeling good and i was bloated you know dairy i mean most people agree is is really one of the worst things you can put in your body so i had a huge you know uh, know, i'm not a hundred percent vegan we're very close to it but a huge change you know happened with me when i cut out most of those uh you know animal products Hmm. and and lean towards vegan so to me these these two terms vegan and vegetarian are night and day anymore
1: okay rich kate we need to take a quick break when we come back more of the best vegan cuisine anywhere chef jamie gwen in your radio don't touch your dial Fascinating. By the way, if you've just tuned in, you're late, because chefs Rich Landau and Kate Jacoby are here. They are, of course, uh, the proprietors and chefs for Veg and V Street in Philadelphia. And their fourth cookbook has just released called V Street. You traveled the globe to some of your favorite places, I know, the both of you, along with your son, in fact, which I think is wonderful. And you really experienced vegetarian and vegan cuisine around the world. What excited you the most? Well, I think, you know, our our most
3: exciting um, food moments are really when we go to local markets. And I think you see that a lot reflected in the book because every market has its own unique properties, and yet there are some of these commonalities that you find, too, no matter where you are in the globe. Um, a very recent trip we took to Morocco was just amazing. I mean, the, just the aromatics walking through these beautiful spice markets that during the day everyone's out shopping and buying their vegetables and, and you know, grinding their spices and buying the most gorgeous dates you've ever seen. Mm. But then you return at night and all these street vendors are out selling prepared, you know, cooked food and you can walk or sit down and it's just such a dynamic place. And then I'm thinking of other markets like in Madeira or in Hong Kong where, you know, they're... There's a similar feel, but the food couldn't, you know, certain ingredients are common, but then also you'll find something that's, like, completely different. And I think for us, that's, like, the best way to experience a new food culture because we'll see it all and we'll hone in on the things that we feel comfortable experimenting with, um, whether that means finding a vendor where we can actually get some food ourselves, like we just did in Singapore, or if it means, like, buying a couple things that, yeah, you know, times we've gone back to our hotel room and, like, made a little snack for ourselves. <laughs> I love um, it. But just to, to kind of see it all in action, and sometimes they're very touristy, or other times we'll find spots that are just, like, regular people shopping, having their lunch, and um, they're all so eye-opening. So it's a nice lens uh, that we travel through.
1: Definitely. So I
3: love
0: that some of the, you know, the cool little stalls and stands they have within these markets. Um, you know, in little shacks you know, where you can just grab a quick bite of food, you know, it's like a vendor selling only one thing or maybe a choice of one or two things. Uh, it's some of the best food on the planet, and that's really what helps inspire the book and, and inspire B Street itself is, you know, this this great, you know, kind of – feel for street food around the world. It's really the best
1: stuff. The one thing I love most about street food around the world is that it's progressive dining at its finest because it's never sitting down to one great big meal. You get a taste from so many places and the book really accentuates that. I love the market lists at the beginning of the book. So you can find ethnic influenced ingredients that create the bold flavors that the both of you are known for, and I'd like to dig into the recipes. The cookbook itself is broken down into street food on a stick, in a snack, on a slaw. And you know a book is good when you can't wait to make the first recipe, page 14. Because Israeli grilled eggplant right up my alley.
0: Yeah, that that was actually inspired by um, a tabique, which is um, kind of falafel's cousin. Um, You know, it's an eggplant sandwich on pita with tahini. And, you know, some different sauces, which will vary from stand to stand, vendor to vendor, and a hard-boiled egg in it. And we've had so many versions of this at B Street uh, throughout its, you know, opening. Um, So this was just kind of our ode to that great, you know, beautiful Middle Eastern combination of eggplant grill with these, you know, wonderful Zatar spices.
1: As the delicious conversation continues, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio, there's more fabulous food right after this. Don't touch your dial. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen, in your radio as we continue the culinary conversation with Chefs Rich Landau and Kate Jacoby. Their new book release, V Street, is getting vegan attention everywhere. As I could imagine, the um, the jerk sauce for the jerk trumpet mushrooms is as well.
0: Yeah, that, that's got a lot of ingredients to it, um, as most jerk sauces do. Because you know we we said <laughs> we've got to cut some ingredients out of this and. But, you know, jerk is so, it's such an interesting um, finicky sauce that if you do take out one single ingredient or one single spice, you know it. Um, you'll taste it in the final version that, or, or the absence of it, I should say. Hmm. And uh, so that, that is a, just a massive recipe. It's not that hard to prepare, actually, but the effect is just beautiful. And, and what's great about that jerk sauce in there is that you can put it on almost anything and cook it on almost anything, in a frying pan, in an oven, under a broiler, on a grill, um, it just works beautifully. It just works for everything. Yeah, on, Great
1: sauce on a mushroom on your elbow do, doesn't <laughs> yeah, matter. Exactly, doesn't matter. <laughs> Kate, with your pastry focus, can you talk to us about five o'clock Szechuan soft pretzels? And if you could hand uh, one through the phone, I'd really appreciate it.
3: Uh, yeah, try <laughs> it. Um, yeah, well, obviously we're from Philadelphia, and we all grew up thinking soft pretzels were like the very best thing in the world. People mm-hmm. coming here, they sometimes get it, sometimes don't. But you know, I can tell the difference between a beautiful, freshly baked soft pretzel versus one that's kind of been sitting out. So, so I appreciate them, and I developed this recipe some time ago. We actually use a variation of it over at Veg for a fondue dish. Um, But for this one, we were looking for delicious, tasty snacks that we could do at happy hour. So, um, you know, obviously, pretzel salt is a big thing, and we wanted to use like black salt on these to sort of. Um, Complement a delicious Sichuan peppercorn. So we're going with the salt and pepper, like really, you know, bold on the pretzel. Um, and we do a cute little fold that looks more like an Asian but on a traditional pretzel twist. And then we recommend this really, like, kind of amped-up ginger Chinese mustard sauce to serve with it. Mm. Um, but the reason we name them that way is because these pretzels really are at their peak when they come right out of the oven. So we go through all the, you know, it's not that tedious. Once you've done it a couple of times, you really, you know, you could do it with your eyes closed. Um, kind of boiling them off and then baking them, we pull them right out of the oven when we're ready to serve them for happy hour at snacks right at 5 o'clock. But the best part is this, you know, this tingle from the Szechuan peppercorns that you end up with on your palate. And, uh, I mean, it's just, like, super comfort food. It's delicious.
1: Oh, it's 5 o'clock somewhere. I'm ready. <laughs> Bring, bring it on. I wonder, Rich, about this uh, chili paste, hot sauce, fermented everything movement and your take on it. Because there's a lot of bold flavor in your book, and that's what your food is known for. The harissa grilled cauliflower I can't wait to make. Are you hot for harissa? Are you all about Korean uh, heat and spice? What tempts your tempts your palate?
0: Well, any kind of hot sauce anywhere around the world is what we just seek. Um, We're hot sauce junkies, and anywhere we go, basically, that's what we're buying to take home as souvenirs. You know, some people have refrigerator magnets, some people have shot glasses. We have bottles of hot sauce crowding our refrigerator from everywhere. Um, You know, and it's funny because it's not just, you know, we go with that kind of chef's kind of approach to it, that it's not just about the heat. It's about the flavor that comes with the heat, because heat for the sake of heat doesn't really do anything. It's really... You know, that's no fun. But when you have these layers of flavor in your hot sauce, um, and, you know, just this, you know, the hot sauces around the world, it's amazing that, you know, Kate mentioned how a market can identify and give you so much insight into a food culture. The hot sauce will do that as well. You know, for instance, like in, you know, in Korea, where our other restaurant is, a, you know, very kind of modern American. You know, it's in a beautiful big brownstone townhouse. You know, it's kind of fancy. Um and you know a lot of these spicy flavors we were playing with just didn't fit in there, so these street was a celebration of you know spice and funk and ferment and you know all this kind of stuff, nothing over the top, but you know let's just say really bold, snappy flavors
1: from your mouth to uh the the plate and the table's ears. I hope so, too. I hope that we see more uh, of those big, bold flavors. We know that we're going to see them on the tables of your restaurants. This is vegetable cooking at its best from uh, two chefs in Philadelphia that get so much well-deserved acclaim. It is vegan cuisine that is so inspired and their new cookbook release will inspire you too. It's called V Street and it is the follow-up to their acclaimed cookbook called Veg, both of which are restaurants you will find, of course, Rich Landau and Kate Jacoby at the helm of in Philadelphia. And you can learn more and find the book uh, available everywhere to bring into your kitchen at vstreetfood.com. It is a must-have for vegetable lovers and it is, I think, a must for anyone who has a taste for adventure. Congrats to both of you. Thank you for sharing your passion. I think both of you deserve tremendous kudos for elevating the food world. And I can't wait to cook from the book.
3: Excellent. Thank you so uh, much. Thanks so much. Pleasure chatting.
1: And so that brings us to the end of another hour of delicious conversation. I certainly hope that I pleased your palate and that you found newfound gastronomic inspiration for the upcoming Thanksgiving feast and for holiday meals throughout the end of the year. I hope too that I fed your soul enough so that you will tune in every Sunday to this show. I'll leave you with my last bite for the hour. I love anything that is one word, easy, don't you? (laughs) I call it my brilliant brie snack. You buy a raisin walnut bread or something nutty with a little bit of sweetness at your favorite bakery or gourmet grocer and you ask them to slice it thinly. Then when friends arrive, you cut the slices in half into triangles and you can either offer them fresh or you could set out the toaster. This is a, a DIY, a do-it-yourself, by the way. You set out a wedge of triple cream brie cheese and you slice a winter pear. And then you as I said, you make it DIY and you let everyone make themselves a cocktail sandwich, as I like to call it. You'll satisfy your hungry guests. And wasn't that easy? I will post my brilliant Brie snack on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where I love to dish daily at Chef Jamie Gwen. And you'll find recipes galore at chefjamie.com. And once again, feel free to email me prior to Thanksgiving with your last minute dilemmas, I'm Jamie at chefjamie.com. I thank you for listening. I wish you a glorious Thanksgiving feast with family and friends, with love and peace surrounding you. And I will meet you here next Sunday for more fabulous food in your radio. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. I hope you continue to eat well and happy Thanksgiving.